morning, everybody. It's great to see every one of you today. Hope you're having a great day. Well, welcome to week three of our Transform series. And I'll tell you what, I'm getting a lot more out of it than I thought. And, you know, you say, well, as a pastor, you're supposed to, like, believe in all this stuff. Hey, I'm, I'm just like you. I, I kind of hope it works out sometimes. And it is working out. So we want to thank you for coming today. And just open your mind to what God's doing. Also, if you see lights flashing throughout the service today, we are having problems with our lighting system. We have to rebuild the whole shoot match. We are a church on a budget. I, I test you to find any other church who does more technology with less money than Crosstown does. I'm serious. We, we are absolutely amazing. Ricky and the team do an incredible job. So if you see lights flashing, do me a favor. Don't turn around and look at the lighting person as if they don't know what's going on. They're awesome back there. They're phenomenal. So, but don't worry. If you see a light flash, you know what that is? That's God telling you, hey, maybe I need to uh, give them some money to help them replace the lights. So uh, if, if you see the light, don't go towards the lights. That's what you need to do. No, but it's, uh, it is great to see you transform is amazing. But I think we've all discovered that it is challenging. Some of the stuff that we're learning on Sundays and also through Rick Warren through our devotional time have been challenging and um, you really have to be willing to allow this process to happen in your life. I want you to see how Laurel has shared that journey in her life. Oh man, I've been tired for a really long time. Yeah, I went through a, a seriously long time without resting and without taking a Sabbath and, and believing the lie that, you know, the harder I worked, the better things were going to go for me and the more success that I would have. And, and, and to an extent, sometimes that happens, but, but I found myself giving even my job a little bit less and giving my spouse a little bit less and giving my service to the church a little bit less and because I was so tired and I wasn't taking that time to recharge and have my soul reconnected with the Lord. I think the transformed group, when, when they first started, I of course thought, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to lead a group. I don't have time to dedicate one night a week. I feel like I already don't have enough nights in the week, but it has really helped me um, to be accountable to the things that we talk about. We have great discussion in our group and to know that others are gonna ask me, hey, how did that go? Or how did your quiet times go this week? Or how did these journal entries go? And that has been very encouraging to me um, to know that, you know, that time is important. And uh, once I started setting it aside, it's not really that, I had that time all along. I just didn't realize it and was filling it up with other things. But I think the Transformed Group has helped me get more of a focused time with the Lord and uh, the journal has really helped me um, take what I know to be true but really develop some depth in, in my intimacy with Him and how I spend time with Him but also in how I spend time with other believers. Thank you, Laurel. You know, our verse has been, comes out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul said this, he said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what we're learning is that in order to feel differently about life, how to do life differently, how to relate differently, we're going to have to change the way that we think. 
It's kind of like the root directory that we have to get down to the bottom of how we think about things. And when we begin to allow God to transform our thinking the way that he wants us to think, we begin to experience transformation in our personal lives. So over the last two weeks, we've talked about transformation in our spiritual health. We actually talked about our physical health. That was really challenging. And then this week, we're going to start talking about the issue of our mental and emotional health, which is really important. I think it's really important right now. So we're going to continue looking at a familiar psalm that parallels how God wants to lead us into a better place with our mental and emotional health. Last week, we learned from Psalm 23 that um, I need to look to God for all my needs to help me with my stress and that I need to obey God's instruction about rest like Laurel was talking about. And again, for a lot of us, this was really challenging. Today, we're gonna go into a different subject. Now, let me just say, this is gonna be challenging. It it has been a message I've wanted to preach for 20 years, and I was never qualified to to speak this. I had to go through some things in order to be able to speak this well. If you're hyper-conservative here today, I'm kind of on a a religious way, uh, conservative, not political way, but if you are, you might be like, "Mm, this doesn't sound biblical, okay? If you're hyper-liberal in a, in a, theological kind of way, you'll, you, you may think that I won't go far enough. But this is a really interesting subject that is incredibly powerful when it comes to the issue of your mental health. So please, it's, when, when I jump into it and we launch into it, don't immediately dismiss it when you see the topic because you have some bias going into this. But if you'll just let me kind of redo this and, and God work a miracle in me today and, and, and into your life, I think it will be really powerful, really powerful. So this week, we're going to learn about our souls, and we're going to learn about the importance of recharging my soul with beauty. What you're about to look at for about four minutes is going to run behind me, is that I put together a collection of things that I think are beautiful. You may not agree with my selection, but these are things in my own personal life. When I think about beauty, these are the things that I think about. And when I think about beauty, I'm talking about viewing life the way it was created to be. Loaded with um, what I'll call God said it is goodness. It is goodness. That when you think about how life was intended to be and how God created it to be and the things that we were supposed to discover, there's a sense of beauty when you connect with it. Now, let me just say, do not confuse beauty with being sexy or perfect or the best at anything. See, our culture has totally screwed up the concept of beauty. And I know that as you're looking at some of them and seeing some of your reaction, you're probably wondering why does he see beauty in these particular things? And I'm gonna show you that there is so much more beauty around us than we are even noticing. See, we have equated beauty to sexy or hotness, but rather beauty is a quality of life and experience that brings joy and refreshing to the soul. You know it when you've seen it or when you've encountered beauty. It just affects you differently than something else does. 
Beauty is no small subject, and it's found its way in all kinds of areas. There's beauty that can be found in landscapes, beauty in architecture. There's beauty in engineering when you see how a watch is made, or at least the old Swiss watches are made. When you listen to music, when you, oh, when you look at E equals MC squared and the, and the science and the mathematics that's behind it and the elegance of mathematics and how this tables of numbers works every single time, when you look at relationships, when you see people having fun together, when you look at the ocean, when you look at a Monet or any form of art, when you look up into the sky at night and you see stars and, and you see the moon and you see the sun going down, when you look at geology, when you look into the ground and you, and you see these incredible stones that are there and layers, and when you look at microbiology and when you shrink down into the world of microbiology and you see order and detail and you see fractal representations on a microbiotic level that we see on a, on, on a space level, it's absolutely incredible. When you look at a marriage, I mean, a marriage is the way that a marriage is supposed to be. When there's cherishing, loving, honoring, sacrifice between two people. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than seeing a couple in love. When you look at the theater or friendship, even jewelry. And I just want to step over that real fast because it may cost me more money than I wanted to. When you look at dance, the form and the flow and the athleticism in dance, when you look at community coming together, serving one cause and uniting against some evil or need in the community, when you look at the culinary arts and the things that we do with chocolate, when you look at unity and diversity, when you look at a crowd of people and they're different, but yet they're unified at the same time, there's something incredibly beautiful about that. When you look at athletics, when an incredible catch is made, it's just a thing of beauty. When you look at history, when you see the Nazis surrendering to the Allied forces and justice has been done in the earth, it's something of beauty. It was the way that it was intended to be. It was something that we were all expecting and hoping for. When you look at automobiles, ah, when you look at automobiles and look at them, you see this incredible beauty. When you look at, the, the, um, at aviation and when you look at the achievements of, of humans on this planet. And the, the great thing about it is that beauty can be found in any gender. It can be found in any culture. It can be found in any age. It's not restricted to a certain kind of person. So when I assembled all these photos together, I tried to uh, uh, represent all the areas where I have personally seen beauty. But I wanted to go beyond that. I wanted to show you the, the exotic beauty that we see in the world and we travel to other places, the Louvre, or we, we, uh, things that are luxurious that we experience or may wish that we could experience. But I also wanted to include the local, the things around us, the things that are right here within the grip and the reach of every single person in this auditorium. So those were not just photos of things that we will never attain. Those were also photos of things of beauty that we have around us right now. I sat with some friends this week and, and I asked them a question. And it's, it was a deep theological question. Um, gave them a few minutes to think it through. And it's like, okay, 
I asked them, what makes a car beautiful to you? So we were sitting and we were just thinking about what makes a car beautiful? And um, that was interesting because I thought that we'd all come up with the same reason what makes a car beautiful. Uh, One of the guys said engineering. Just the way the thing is put together. It's just, you know, some of you drive Mercedes, not because it's the sexiest car on the road, but it's just, you just love the beauty of the engineering that's involved. Some, uh, one person said comfort. Just having all the creature comforts in the car, you know, the little fan blowing up your back and the heaters and all the other stuff and the Apple CarPlay and all that. And then there was those who would, we, we love the lines of the car, the way it swoops and curves and goes round. And yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, there's nothing wrong talking like that, okay? I just didn't sin because I used the word curves or lines. The universe was created with them and God put them there for us to observe. But some people, that's, that's what it is. Um, one person was, was, uh, said, a beautiful car is one that's paid off. And that's a real thing. You know, it's a real thing. I, I don't subscribe to that, but, you know, okay, if you like driving your clunker and it's beautiful, I, that's, that's beauty. Uh, another one was speed and performance, Excel- acceleration from zero to 60, the ability to perform on a track. To another one was Reliability. That seven-year, 100,000-mile warranty just turns you on. You're just like, man, that is one heck of a car. It's a beauty. If it ever breaks down, I could take it right into Toyota. Another one is efficiency. That's why crossovers are selling like crazy. The sedan in the United States is almost disappearing because everybody wants a utilitarian vehicle, something that, oh, I can tow a boat or I can put kayaks on the top or I can, you know, all kinds of different things. I can go four-by-fouring, though I really won't go four-by-fouring. And then there's one last one, and that is a vehicle that is unique, something that is beautiful because nobody else is driving it. See, these were really cool elements that defined beauty in the minds of different people. So there are a lot of ideas of what makes something beautiful. Symmetry, form, color, proportion are appealing to us. Um, Fractal representation, ratios, patterns seem to be appealing to us. It's really interesting, but there's a whole, there's a whole study behind this. Matter of fact, I think there's a, in neuroscience, they call it neuroesthetics. It's a new field of study that, that tries to understand why the brain finds things beautiful. Because anthropologists have been trying to figure out why we, why we need beauty. Uh, you know, because it, we really can't find a function for it. Now, they've come up with a couple ideas, and, and you guys all know I'm, I'm totally into science, love science. I, I just love it. But when you step into an area of science where you know they're just making crap up, I mean, it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah you, you may, that's not, the, that's not the reason why we have beauty. But here's a couple. Uh, some feel that beauty has something to do with survival, that only pretty people survive. Um, I, I guess, you know, I, I don't think, I, you know, No, no, it's not happening, okay. (laughs) Uh, uh, Some of us feel that it's uh, an attraction to reproduction, okay, that uh, uh, only pretty people have children, I guess, or something like this, I I don't know, but it has something to do with uh, God put beauty, or not God, but nature put beauty in there. Um, 
that it, uh, sometimes we find representations in nature that make us feel good. So because a tree delivers a certain kind of fruit and that woman over there looks like that kind of tree, therefore I find her attractive. I mean, I'm telling you, it's really stupid. I mean, I, 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 I love quantum theory. I love multiverse ideas and all those things. But I, when you come across an idea that you know that's just not getting it done, it, it becomes obvious. But what we have discovered is that, that beauty affects us. There has been one study done at Harvard on, on the recovery of patients from medical surgeries. That when they are put into a one wing of the hospital where there is art displayed, their stay and their use of painkillers is reduced by two days. Okay? So when you go to a hospital, they're not just redoing it because they needed to upgrade it. There's some psychology around this idea if the hospital looks better, you won't Stay as long. Guess who's going to get behind that one? The insurance companies are going to be buying all the art and putting it in all the things. But, it, but it's true that when we are in an environment that feels beautiful, we physiologically respond to it. Beauty in nature and character, in art, in music, in relationships, in creativity, in justice, in compassion, it inspires us. It refreshes us. And when we don't find it, we don't find beauty in a friendship, when we don't find beauty in justice, when justice isn't doing what it's supposed to do for all people, we, we, we find that some beautiful idea has been ruined. But we find beauty in so many different things. I, I have always believed, and I don't really have a better way of putting this, but I've always believed that God has written two books. And this may kind of like, I don't want to scare anybody by this, but I think he's written two books. The first book is called the Bible. And that's called Special Revelation. It means these are some insights from the mind of God that we might not have normally picked up. Uh, one of the ideas would be redemption. It's a really cool idea that God forgives us. The other one, the other book is called Creation. See, the Bible has special revelation. The creation has empirical declaration. Is that when I look at the creative world, it tells me something about God. It tells me something about life. And both of these, when they're combined together, are a powerful um, source of insight for finding beauty in the world around us. It's the power of seeing life from the eyes of God. So when we look at it through the scriptures, and then when we get to experience it in nature, we, we discover something about what God wants life to be like. So in Psalm 23, we hear both books from God talking to us about the power of beauty. I, and I, I think this is just absolutely incredible. David talks about the leading of God into better spaces for the purpose of refreshing. Let me read this to you and, and just try to visualize it as, as I do. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, so I have all I need. He makes me lie down in lush green meadows, and he leads me beside calm, quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's a beautiful and familiar passage of Scripture. But you know, when I went back and I looked at it, I, I was really amazed what I saw this week. I love this. It says, 
He makes me lay down in lush green meadows. He leads me beside quiet, calm, quiet waters. You see, God inspires David with a picture of beauty. It's a picture of resting in beautiful spaces. I mean, I'm one of these guys that we look at the Hebrew word, the original Hebrew word, and we look at the original context, the original Greek word, and and how does that impact our orthodoxy and our theology and all this stuff? Well, there was one word in there I just kind of like found interesting to be in there. It was the word green. It's like, why green? I mean, because we're theologians, aren't we? We're Bible Belt Christians, aren't we? We're all about justice. We're all about rightness. Are we about greenness? And I know some of you are just like, oh, he's a, this is going into a planet warming thing. No, it's not, not going there at all. No, but it's the idea that God would care about what the color of something was and that he would want to lead us by a particular color, that God would want to lead us into this green space. The, and so I thought about what's green for us, and, I, and it's for all of us. It's a, it's a peaceful color. Um, it's the optimate, optimate uh, color for biological health in the world around us. When something is in the green, when something is greening out, it is at its optimum level of performance. It is the expectation that you have when you go into a meadow. You hope it's not browned out. You hope it's this beautiful, lush, green experience. And, and David said, God leads me into spaces of beauty, places where the optimal is experienced, where green is experienced, because God is interested in the color of your life. God is interested in you experiencing what he created. So last week, we talked in the context of rest, but I want you to notice that in this this, if you could throw that verse back up there again, he leads me in quiet waters, I mean green pastures, and beside quiet waters. I noticed that there was something missing in this, is that um, there's no mention of consumption in this. It's not like, because most of us would think he leads me in green meadows to eat the meadows, if I'm a sheep and he's my shepherd. Um, or he leads me by quiet waters, and I've heard umpteen sermons about because the water needs to be calm, because the sheep get nervous and all this stuff. And that may be very well true, but, but it doesn't say anything about me drinking the waters or eating the grass. It talks about being in a place where you experience beauty, not for the purpose of consumption, because that's where we go wrong in America. We see beauty, we see a woman, we see a man, we see a car, we see a house, we see whatever. We think of beauty as something for consumption. But that's not what this is about. This is about beauty for observation. An observation that restores the human mind. And I tell you, This is not some uh, existential conversation that we're having today. This is the talk that God wants to have with you about healing your mind from the last two years of our American experience. Because we need our minds healed. Because we have seen some stuff that we wish we could forget. 
We have been a part of a cultural experience that a lot of us, in the midst of it, have lost a sense of wonder and beauty in it, a sense of joy in it. We're not observing what God wants us to observe. An observation that God wants to give us that will recover color and intentionality in a dark and chaotic world. And that's what's happened over the last two years. It's just like all the funsy got sucked out of the room. Like somebody licked your lollipop. It's just like color, like when you walk into a dark room, all the color is just strips. Things that used to take joy in no longer have any kind of beauty in it. Normal things become dark and, 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 you know, the future of our America, we have this darkness cast on it. All the experience that we've had. And I think God wants to lead us by green, lush meadows and quiet water. Not so that you and I can come, 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 get ours. But rather so that we can just observe. So that he can restore our soul. Beauty is that part of life, even in the midst of gray skies like today, that reminds you of the intentionality and the purpose of God. And sometimes life messes that up. I, I love snow. Me and Susan, as soon as it snows in Asheville, we're gone. We, we drive immediately up there in a moment because we want to see snow. But I'm from Boston, and I know they just got hammered. And I know, you know, it's kind of like, man, wouldn't it be great to be up there for a blizzard? Yeah. You know, you want to know what that snow looks like in March, okay? After it's been fallen for about two months and you're ready to get on with your life, it's all piled up at the supermarket, you know, that, where they made parking spaces for you, and it's all piled up and it's all gray and it's ugly and it's nasty and it's chunked up and, and it's just terrible. It's like all that snow when you were out there going, ah. You know, you're now looking at the snow and you're just like, this is just, I can't wait for it to go away. You don't wash your car in New England until June because you're just going to get snow and salt and crap and all kinds of things on it. See, life has a way of turning beautiful snow into something great and ugly. And that's what's happened to us as people is that we've gotten gray we focused on all the things that CNN and Fox News were shoveling at us. And all of a sudden, this, this life, and now some things need to be challenged, but that doesn't mean we give up the beauty of what life is supposed to be. Sometimes we focus on bad things that happen, and bad things do happen. I'm not, I'm not here telling you that life is beautiful, David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's a realist. I'm not talking pie in the sky stuff here. I'm just talking that there's more to see than just the evil and the depressing things that we see around us. The problem we have with our world is not because the world lacks beauty. The problem is the, the kind of meadow that we're laying our heads down, that we're observing. The problem is the path that we choose to walk down to view the world. I believe there are all kinds of paths that you and I can walk down and view and come up with a conclusion about the world. David said this, he guides me in the right path for his namesake. 
that there's a right way to look at the world and there's a wrong path to go down to to look at the world. Exact same world. But you can, but if you let God lead you down the right path, you'll see the right amount of suffering, pain, beauty, love, joy, hate, inequity, equity, justice, injustice, enough for you to be able to handle. See, but what we've got is we've got news outlets that they only make their money if there's more blood in the water. And they keep feeding us this crap over and over again, this gray, cruddy snow that's been plowed up and shoved, and that's all we see. And as a result of it, we don't enjoy the beauty that's around us. There are many paths that you can walk down, and, and, and I have learned this from personal experience. I, that's why this message had to take 20 years for me to get to it. Because there have there been times in the last two years where I just wanted to die. Not really. I'm too much of a coward to die. But, but I hated my life. I hated because of my physical pain. It was just like I'm just, you know, I lost sports. I lost all that other stuff. And all I could see was how pitiful and, 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 and hurtful my life was. And it's, like, and it's like, wow. Well, if you go down that path, you'll think the exact same way. For me, it's called depression. Not all depression is formed that way, but for me, that's how I experienced a dark place is because I went down the path of pain in evaluating all life based upon the pain quotient. See, as a victim, you will only see the world as dangerous. That's the only way you'll see it. If you've ever been victimized, the problem with it is not only the crime that was committed against you, which is real and horrific and wrong, the bigger problem is that it becomes a path from that point on that you begin to view the rest of the world. See, you may only view the world in terms of race. That's, that's your thing. That's your path. It's all about race. Well, it's not all about race. You may only view the world through your health or through your lack of your health. But it's not all there is. You may view the world through your through your internet access or through the news. But David said, God guides me in the right paths, the ones that restore my soul. So we all have paths here. We subscribe to our paths. We pay $19 a month for our Netflix path. We pay for our Amazon Prime path and our Hulu and Peacock and all. Your favorite TV show may be your path. And you might not realize that you are now viewing the rest of the world based upon your favorite TV show, NCIS. I don't know how you don't get dark if you're watching, because you've got NCIS Hawaii, uh, uh, Cleveland. Uh, I don't think maybe they haven't done a Cleveland one. Uh, nobody cares that they're killing people in Cleveland, I guess. Uh, but, that, you know, you got it in Boston, you got it in New York and all this. Then you got special crimes victims, you know, sexual crime victims and, and all that. It's like, oh, that's what we need. We need you to take all this depressing stuff and then break it out into separate categories and have separate franchises dedicated to certain kind of crimes. And you think, well, you know, no big, it's just a TV show. Is it though? Or does it become a path? Your political fervor may become your path. That all of a sudden you find yourself, well, I'm this kind of person. It's like all of a sudden you find yourself down at the end of that path and you're like, did I vote for this guy? 
You know, you're, and, and both parties could do that in America. Uh, your nasty divorce can be your path. You go through a nasty divorce and all of a sudden you're looking at marriage as an obsolete, antiquated system that we need to throw off and I reject this idea, all because of the path you chose to look at marriage from. Here's, here's one that, I, that it speaks volumes to us. The absence or an abusive father on the path. And for some of us, if we've experienced the, the lack of a father or an abusive father, then it shapes everything we look at. How we view men, how we view the world, how we look at hierarchy and structure. It, it affects everything. Your ethnicity and gender may be the path that you only view it as being a man or being a woman or being white or being black or being Asian. And you only view the world from those very limits. You know, that's really, I was listening to one psychologist talk about it. The fact that we identify on race, on the issue, and that becomes such a big thing, it's actually a really small bandwidth of defining who you are that your personality is the greatest level of diversity about you. It's not your color. But yet in America, we focus on gender and race or color. That that's the big thing that defines you. When really, the thing that makes you different than anybody else is not those things. It's your personality. That's your diversity. That's the part that we need to be celebrating and making sure everybody gets to express. He says he guides us along right paths. So you got the news, you got the internet, you got atheism. Laying down negative, I love it. I love listening to these atheist guys. They're just, they're so out of ammunition. They're so out of resources, okay? I mean, I'm telling you, you gotta stay up on the science of this. Atheism is on the run right now. Um, it really is, philosophically, Scientifically, it looks like this is our own universe and it had a beginning and hard, hard to tell you, there probably was a creator and there's design in everything, right? From the microbiotic to, the, to the, the world outside the universe and all this other stuff. So, I mean, it's pretty much, so here's their big rub. If God is real and if God is good, then why is there suffering? And then there's one particular guy who's getting a lot of traction on TV now because he's an astrophysicist. You know, he's like big, big dog on that and all. But uh, he actually, on his website, puts pictures of deformed children and will say, is this a loving God? It's like, okay, so your, your, your ploy to get people to unbelieve in God is to put pictures of deformed children. You talk about using a people group for an evil purpose. I mean, that is wicked. But that's your best card? That's it right there. Is, is, is there those kinds of experiences? Is there evil? Is there suffering? Absolutely there is. And I would tell you, if that was the only path that we could walk down, I would agree with you. There must be no good God. But I'm here to tell you that the only reason why we think there's only one path is because we're not letting God lead us down the other paths. See, when you walk down that path, you end up getting screwy in your mind. Um, you end up saying something like this, life is suffering. It's like, well, no, life has suffering, but not life is suffering. Here's one that will challenge you. 
America is racist. No. America has racism. But America is not racist. America is a great many wonderful things and a few evil things in there as well. But what we'll lock down on is there's only one view and this is all bad and it all needs to be burnt down. It's like, oh, I think you're on a, I think you're on a bad path. You know, I, I think there's another way to come up with this solution, but I don't think that's the path for it. How about this one? God doesn't exist in the world with suffering. Here's one that might be a favorite. All men are dogs. Okay, I'll pray for you, man. I'll pray for you. Because that is no dog sitting next to you. That's a great man. All men are dogs, and, I, and she doesn't believe that. She lo- Kathleen loves her men. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. See, there, there are many paths. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, how about this? You can't trust anyone. You can't, have you ever thought that? Well, that's just because you went down a path where you experienced distrust. Um, how about love will break your heart? Or the fear of losing somebody. You lost somebody important in your life, and so from that point on, you shut down any other path. I cannot be happy any other way. How about um, the world is going to hell in a handbasket? It's not going to hell in a handbasket. I, as far as I'm concerned, most of it's not going to hell. Uh, there'll be a new creation and all that stuff, but some of us think that's what it is. Or you might be here today, my life is not worth living. And you got down that path, and you got... Is anybody, you don't have to put your hands... Have you ever been to a dark place like that before in your life? It's like you just think it's not worth living. It's a scary place to be. And when I've been there in my life, I've... I, the only thing I had was I couldn't look in the mirror and say, well, you're beautiful, you're worth living, you know, you're really good at the hula hoop. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, you know, it's like, no, there was nothing, no good in me. And it was like, okay, so what, where'd you find beauty? I, I, I found beauty in God. I found beauty in what God said about me. You know, it's like, that was the path. Those were the lush green meadows. They might not have been in me. It might not have been me. But it was a place where God wanted to lead me. And if you continue to walk in the dark, you will never see the green and you will never see the lush meadows. There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Joseph. And Joseph was one of 12 sons of his father, Jacob. And Jacob gave his son, Joseph, don't know why, he gave just one of these out, probably bad parenting, but he... um, he gave Joseph a coat of many colors. And because of this coat of many colors, his brothers hated him. You know, and not only because of the coat of many colors, but kind of analogous to it, his giftedness was so beautiful that they hated him for the coat that represented his giftedness. So what do we do with beauty if we don't feel that we have it? We attack it. We try to... Reduce it, steal it, vandalize it. They took his coat, his brothers, and poured blood on it and gave it to their father and said he was dead while they sold him into slavery. 
See, I think that's what's happening to us. I think that as Christians, we've been given this coat of many colors, this position we have in Christ, this love of God in our lives. But I think through the experiences of life, the coat has been taken from us. And it has been, it, it has been stained, it has been maligned, it has been stolen. And I think that happens to a lot of us. Life experiences. Go through a divorce. I've been there, done that. You don't come out of that feeling, you know, perky and cheery about yourself. It puts you in a dark place. Lose a loved one. That doesn't make you perky. It doesn't make you cheerful. You don't feel like you have any colors in your life, any sense of radiance about your life. All you're, you're, you're on a path where there is grief. Deal with illness, chronic illness, that doesn't go away. When the pain can't be resolved. I mean, it's a tough place to be. But decades later, Joseph emerges from slavery as second only to Pharaoh in power, in wealth, and affluence. And God restored all the color to his life. And that's what God wants to talk to us about our mental health today. He wants to restore your view of a good world. Yes, it has suffering. Yes, we bury loved ones. Yes, we're dealing with inflation, the threat of war, the rumor of wars, earthquakes, all the things Jesus warned us about. But there's beauty in the middle of it if we'll just look. And you don't have to go to France to see it. It's within reach of every single one of us. You don't ha- it's not luxury. It's found when you want to see the intentionality of God in anything that he's created And God wants to lead us to the green and the quiet, to our coat, the place that restores our souls. So let me just say this in closing. We need to see ourselves the way that he sees us. You need to see you through the the beauty that God sees you. We need to view life from the path that he leads us to walk on. So you need to ask yourself, is God okay with you watching that show? I'm, I'm a big sci-fi guy, and, and I watch a lot of sci-fi, and, and there was a show on that, that I was loving, but I was in a bad place mentally because of some pain I was going through, and the show ended up having what's called a nihilistic twist to it, kind of hopeless, meaningless, everything. To, and I, had, I, I just felt God say, you need to walk away from this. You do not need to be walking and viewing nihilism, hopelessness on TV. You, you need to be like watching Andy Griffith, okay? You need to be watching something good, something that restores the soul about the goodness of God in life. We need to choose to walk in the beauty that he has created. So just three things, real easy things that you can do right now today. You need to get outside every single day. Every day, you just... This is not deeply theological, but you need to get outside every single day. I have this little habit I do every night with my granddaughter, Ireland. At about eight o'clock at night, she's about two and a half years of age. Whenever I feel like a dark place coming to me or if like, you know, just not really happy about me or just happy about life and all that sort of stuff. And I'll look at Ireland and I said, Ireland, it's time for you and Papa to go find the moon. 
And so I'll pick her up and we'll walk out on the front steps and we'll look around and she'll say, Moon, where are you? Where are you, Moon? And now, first of all, now just hearing that just restores its beauty. And then we'll walk around and we'll walk around the yard and you'll see us in the eight o'clock at night just walking around the yard and, and we'll be looking for the moon and all of a sudden we'll see the moon and then we'll move to a place where we can see it best uninhibitedly and, and we'll say, hi moon. And she'll say, Papa, could you get a ladder? And we go up to the moon and we could pull it down and, and she'll go, Papa, I can't get the stars. And, and I'll tell you what, what is that? Is there murder going on in the, in the world? Yes, there is. Is there starvation going on in the world? Yes, there is. But you know what? In order for me to be able to handle all that, I got to have a few minutes where me and Ireland are outside trying to grab the moon. See, because if we set our minds on the things of God and the things that are above, things that are in the mind of God, we'll find out that suffering's not the only thing within arm's reach. Get out every day. Second, start your day with God. Do not open up CNN and Fox News. Don't get up and start shaving and putting on your FM, your AM radio and start shaving. It's like, listen to the latest news from NPR. Why let those people decide the path of the rest of your day? And third, intentionally put beauty around you. It doesn't matter how much you spend for it. You can have somebody, somebody make it for you, but you need beauty in your house. Say, well, you know, I'm on a budget. I'm telling you, it's not, it's not that hard. You know, I've got these things that are pictures made by all my grandchildren that surround me. And, and I don't even know what they are anymore. They told me when they gave it to me, like, hey, Papa, there's you in a tree. And it's like, I don't know. You know, I couldn't tell the difference between me and the tree. Really didn't help my self-image any. But you know what? There was still beauty in it. I'd say, go someplace, buy it. Buy a vase and put a flower in it. It's like, oh, come on, Pastor Paul, that's going to fix my life. No, it may not fix your life, but it may be part of the properties of beauty that have the power to restore your soul as you're walking through that difficult time in your marriage, as you're walking through that financial difficulty, as we're dealing with a country with racism in it, as we're dealing with a country with injustice in it, reminding yourself this is not all there is. It's not all going bad. Allow God to lead you into a green place, a place with quiet waters, not for you to consume, but for you to observe. And lastly, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.8, because just wanted to get backed up by the Apostle Paul. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, he could have said, whatever is beautiful, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? Because you're going to see some horrific things in your life. They're there. We're not, we're not denying that the world at times sucks and it's difficult and hard and unfair and unjust and racist and all that. We're not denying that. But the Apostle Paul says for you to be able to face that world without your snow going gray, you're going to have to think upon the right things. It says, whatever you've learned, received, and heard from me, 
seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Think about such things. Put into practice. As we move into expressions, what we encounter, or when we encounter the intentionality of God in creation and the world, we experience true beauty. You know, this is the way that God made it to be. And God wrote two books. He wrote the book of the scriptures with a special revelation about how you are so loved by him and how he redeems us. But he also has put a world around us that if you will look, you will find more than suffering in the world. Maybe you have left, let life lead you to a dark place and you didn't know it that you are standing in a dark place and you walked down that path and you kept walking down that path and you came to the conclusion, there's no God, this is too dark. I'm here to tell you, there's not a problem with God and it's not so much that there's a problem with the whole world. It's just the path that you're standing on. Hopeless, feeling worthless, feeling misery, feeling disappointment, jealousy, because other people have beauty, envy, angry about life. I'm telling you, every one of those things can be resolved if you let him lead you down the right path. There is more to life than what you're seeing. In the beginning, God created, and he separated the dark from the light, and he said it was good. And it's time for us to start doing the work of God, separating the dark from the light choosing paths of light to see the good things that God has created. The dark is still there. Jesus is the light of the world that comes to illuminate every heart. Every heart that chooses that it wants to be illuminated. So, let me encourage you to allow God to restore your soul. He may have to back you out of a bad place. Okay? Today, maybe you just recognize that you're in a bad place. It's like, okay, that's, that's step one. But maybe it's time for you to start getting outside. Start looking, God, show me the beauty. Show me the beauty of my spouse. Show me what, what's so good about this marriage. Is there anything good? God, show me the beauty. Because I know it's got to be here. Show me the beauty about my country. Show me the beauty about people who are different than me. Golly, man, that's incredible. Father, we ask that as we come to the table of Christ that you will restore our soul, that there's nothing more green than the resurrected body of Jesus, declaring that we have new life, we can become new creations, that the old things can pass away and that green and lush and quiet waters can be ours. Father, for some of us, we are in such a dark place. And God, I pray that they will see the light, just as we're told in Matthew, that he came to his people, to a people sitting not just in darkness, but in the shadow of darkness. God, I can't, I can't stay in that place. Help people see the light that is in Jesus Christ who came to give us life and life abundantly.